Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. We are wrapping up the book this morning. Can you believe that? Our main idea of the text today, as Paul concludes his letter, is simply that God's grace produces peace and genuine friendships. So if you're taking notes, God's grace, you'll see that in the text, produces peace, you'll see that in the text, and genuine friendships which we're also going to see in the text. So in honor of the reading of God's word, would you stand with me as we read Ephesians 6, 21 through 24? So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Lord, I pray today that you would help us as we wrap up this book just to consider deeply what you say to us here, what your word says to us, not just in these four verses, but in all of Ephesians, that you will help us to find our ultimate identity in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. All right, two points for you today. First point comes out of verses 21 and 22, and it is a genuine friend. The first thing we see in our text is we see Paul as a human being. We see Paul writing. And we know that from time to time, Paul had various scribes that would write for him. And there is even hints in some of his letters when he's writing that it talks about, see what large letters I have written to you with. So as he's writing, he gives us some indication of that. We don't, we don't know if Tychicus was a scribe for him if he was writing or if Paul were writing this letter by himself. We don't know if Tychicus was right there beside him as he was saying these words, but it's possible. It's possible that he was the scribe and Paul was dictating to him and saying, write these words. And as he's writing these words, these are kind, encouraging words, not just to the Ephesians and others who would read the letter, but to him, his dear friend himself. And so we see Paul as a human being talking about somebody who has gone along the journey with him, somebody who has been present with him. And he says of him that he is a beloved brother, that he is a faithful minister in the Lord. Now, first, I want you to take note of what Paul says about him and how he goes about encouraging him or commending him to those that he's going to take the letter to. Think about our society. If I want you to listen to somebody, what's the typical introduction that I give you? Well, he has a degree from here and another degree from here, and he's a pastor of this and he holds this position and he does all this. But think about what Paul's doing here. He's not giving us a list of credentials. He's giving us some indication of character. And perhaps that's a better way to introduce or commend somebody. He says that here is a beloved brother. Now, brother, what does he mean by brother? They're not related, but he's a brother in Christ. And he says he is a faithful minister in the Lord. And that means that the joint bond that they have together is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a beloved brother. He is a faithful minister. The word there for minister, diakonos is where it comes from. It's the servant. It's the deacon. It's one serving the Lord. 
And we'll come back to that as well. So who is this Tychicus? Well, we see four different times him mentioned in scripture beyond this one. We see in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, that he appears at the end of Paul's missionary work in Ephesus. We don't know the whole story. We don't know if he was from Ephesus or not. He's called an Asian. We don't know if he was part of Paul's ministry. Perhaps he received the Lord at Paul's ministry there in Ephesus. It's possible. We know that that means he was there in that area. And so perhaps he saw the riots. Perhaps he saw the silversmith. We do know he accompanied Paul to Jerusalem. So he saw that. He understood what was going to happen as Paul went to Jerusalem. He was there with him for the journey. We understand from Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, that he carried that letter too. And that's probably what it means when it says that you also. Why is it you also? It's, it's because there were other letters that were being carried, so you also will be able to hear. He's going to different places, so you're going to be able to hear from him about how we're doing. We know that he carried Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon. We understand from Colossians 4, 6, he carried the lost letter to the Laodiceans. Probably 2 Timothy and Titus. We see him in Titus chapter 3, verse 12 as a potential replacement. Paul says to Titus, I may send to you Tychicus or I may send Artemis to Crete so that you could come visit him, visit Paul in Nicopolis. We see in 2 Timothy 4.12 that Paul sent him to Ephesus to relieve Timothy. So think about this person that is entrusted with a letter that is sent to relieve Timothy, that could be sent to relieve Titus, and he describes him and says to him, this is a beloved brother, this is a faithful minister. Now, oftentimes in my quiet time and in my Bible reading, I just scan right past these type things. It's the end of the letter, let's get past this and get to another letter and get to the meat of what's going on and get to good stuff. But there's good stuff right here if we take time and we pause to speak about this and to think deeply about this. What is it that he is sent to do? He is sent to carry a letter that if he doesn't deliver it, if he's not a faithful servant of Christ, then the letter never arrives and then it's never recorded in scripture and then we never have all of this. Now, obviously the Holy Spirit superintended all of this and God did as well, but he used a faithful servant in order to do it. He used somebody who was a beloved brother, somebody who had been on all of these missions with him. And he said that he was sending him not just to deliver the letter, but also I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. So Paul here is worried that the Ephesians will be able to know and to pray and to offer concern and care and to rejoice. And then he says, and that he may encourage your hearts. So let me ask you a question. Are you going through life developing friends like this? Or are you going through life seeking to live solo? Are you intentionally working and trying to develop friends of this nature? Are you a friend of this type? Think about some of the characteristics here that if we just drill a little bit deeper, it would take to be a friend of this nature. He had to be truthful. Would you send somebody to carry a letter to a church and then to deliver your message and tell you all about, tell them all about everything that's going on in you? He's going to tell you how we are. He's going to encourage your hearts. This is a person that you can trust. I know him well. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a faithful servant. And so then there's application for us here. Are we truthful in our friendships? Or do we tend to exaggerate things? Do we have a flair for the dramatic in our life so that when somebody sends us to tell news, the news is always a lot worse or a lot better 
than the truth actually is. I think what we're seeing here is that Paul trusts Tychicus to be somebody that would deliver the news, not the hyperbole, but the news. So are you trustworthy? Can your friends trust that when you deliver something, you're gonna be accurate in what you deliver? These are important characteristics for friends to have. You don't want somebody that's gonna go around and slander you. Paul is sending somebody and trusting him. What if Tychicus was to show up and say, well, Paul should have never gone to Jerusalem in the first place. I can't believe he did. I told him not to. Doesn't that sound like what some of us would say? He just didn't listen to me. But he's a beloved brother, a faithful minister. Is your yes, yes? Is your no, no? Do you break confidence? How often do we do it? Can, can I tell you something in private? Can I tell you something in secret? Oh, absolutely. Hey, let me tell you what so-and-so just told me. And confidence means one person at a time is all I'm gonna tell. I won't shout it from the rooftop, but I will tell one person at a time. He had to trust that Tychicus would know exactly what to say, what not to say. He would represent it faithfully. So are we truthful? Are we dependable? He gave him a letter. Even in this time, it would talk about how some would not send letters because they didn't have a delivery person who would make sure it got to the right location. So it it wasn't worth the time writing everything down to deliver it. And so he's dependable. So I asked the question, am I a good friend? Am I dependable? Are you a good friend? Are you dependable? Are you somebody that when you say you're going to show up at a certain time, you show up at a certain time? Are you somebody when you say you're going to accomplish a certain task, you accomplish a certain task? Or are you somebody who your word really doesn't mean a whole lot because you're not dependable? You say you're going to do something, but you never follow through on it. And we all know those people. We all know those that when they say, yeah, they're going to do it, it's like, well, I better follow up on that because it may or it may not happen. Now, in your friendships, in your personal life, in your career, if you are not a person that is dependable, you will not be the person that's trusted with the important task of life. You must be somebody where your word means something and where you're dependable. And if you can't do it, you don't say you're going to do it because you don't want people to think you can't do things and you're not going to be reliable. Are you an encourager? He says here that he's sending them so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Paul trusted Tychicus to encourage their hearts. So this comes at us again. Am I an encourager? There are certain people in life that when you're around them, they lift you up and they encourage you. And there are certain people in life that just suck the life right out of you. Everything is always doomsday. The world is always ending. Everything is always bad. And we don't want to be around the people that just continuously suck the life right out of us. People that always bring us down and never encourage us. We love being around the people that encourage us. The people that always greet us with a good word, a smile, a prayer. I've been praying for you. How are you doing? People that give you compliments, things of that nature. So am I an encourager? Are you an encourager? Are you a person who's positive or negative? Is your tone and your body language communicating that you are an encourager. I think we should think on these things. I think we see one other thing here. With Tychicus, I think we see somebody that's selfless. He was a servant. He was a minister of Jesus Christ, and he was faithful. His service and his encouragement wasn't always about him. 
Is life always about you? How many of you have ever told a story about your past, but you have this friend that every time you tell a story about your past, your friend has to tell one up over whatever story you've told, even if it's not about his or her life, but it's about somebody, well, I know somebody that did this and they did one better than you did, or I know somebody that did that, and there's always a one-up. Anybody know anybody like that? You ever been around anybody? Don't be that person, all right? Don't be that friend that's not truthful, that's not reliable. Don't be that friend that sucks the life out of people. Don't be that friend where it's always about you and never about other people. And there are also those people that, that they always want to take, 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 and never give. Every time you're around them, it's like, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you do for me? And it's never about giving back. And so then it's a one-way friendship. And that one-way friendship doesn't encourage you at all. It just sucks the life right out of you. And so you see that person coming. And you're like, I don't want to talk to them. I'm going to go the other way around the lake. I don't want to. And you just go around the lake a different way because you don't want to talk to that person. And if you see people doing that to you, it might be that you need to examine, are you a good friend? Are you somebody that's reliable, dependable, truthful, encourager? Are you selfless? Now, here's the deal. How many of us want to be Paul writing the letter, but we never want to be Tychicus delivering the letter? How many of us want to have the title? How many of us want to have the followers, the fame, the reputation, you name it, have the world think of us in a certain way. But how many of us never want to be the person who's told, take this and deliver this? See, I get the sense, and maybe I'm reading too much into this text, but I get the sense that by Paul calling him a beloved brother, brother a faithful minister in the Lord, that when he gave him this letter, that, that Tychicus took that responsibility seriously. This was a task that he had been given and his responsibility was to do the small things and do them well. And I think there's application for me and application for you right here as well. And that the small things in life that we do well end up being bigger things that then we do well. And if we're not gonna take care of the small things that the Lord gives us, we're not gonna take care of the big things that the Lord gives us. And so we seek to serve right off the bat. How can I serve? How can I do ministry? How can I be, do whatever the Lord wants me to do when nobody else is going to ever know that it took place and then eventually you let the Lord worry about taking care of the breadth of all that you're doing you just do the little things right and do the little things well we should never look at things in this life and think that's beneath me I think Tychicus was a genuine friend to Paul we see in these final two verses peace and grace that's what I want to focus on we see four words. We see peace to the brothers. We see love with faith. And we see grace. Four words. Peace, love, faith, grace. We see that love with faith comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we think about the words peace and grace, it hearkens in my mind back to the very first verses of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, the second half, and verse 2 says the following to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's doing here? He has started off the letter by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he has ended the letter by saying peace be to the brothers, to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Love with faith, which comes from God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ 
with love incorruptible. No two words could better summarize the entire book of Ephesians than grace and peace. And we know you cannot have genuine peace vertically or horizontally without grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot be reconciled to our creator without grace. We're not gonna have genuine friendships without grace. And so we understand the importance of the words grace and peace. He mentions here though, and love with faith. And then he comes back in verse 24 and he says, grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the original language, it talks about the incorruptible. And there's some debate over how this incorruptible word connects to the rest of it. And the commentators go off on different tangents here. And I have to be honest with you, I don't exactly know how incorruptible relates to the rest of the passage. There are about four main views. Incorruptible could relate to eternity. Well, now this preaches really well if it relates to eternity. Because Paul begins the book by looking at eternity past and talking about how God chose us in Christ. And then he would end the book looking to eternity future about how we're going to experience a love incorruptible. And that'll preach really well. Because he goes to the past and then he talks about who we are. And then he ends the letter by looking to the future. But that's a minority position. He connects it to grace. It's grace incorruptible. That's what some commentators think. And this can indicate that we will receive God's grace forever with an endless supply. Some say that because of his position, it's connected to Jesus, who is immortal and eternal. And obviously we know that's true and that he will reign in immortality. But the majority of the translations actually connect it back to love, which is a little far away in the sentence for it to be natural. But it talks about an undying love. Now, one of the weaknesses of this view is it says, grace be to all then who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. And to our ears, sometimes that sounds like a work. Oh, you mean I have to love the Lord incorruptibly in order to receive grace? Well, we know from the book of Ephesians, that's not the case. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we say by grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us should boast. But the majority of the translations attach it to love, to love incorruptible. So... I have no clue what to do with the word incorruptible. There are four options. Pick your poison, go with it. But if you pick love, know that this is not a condition of salvation. It's not a workspace salvation. We read in context. We understand this as an incorruptible love that would come from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's incorruptible. I have to wonder how this connects to the book of Revelation. The letters, you remember them. In the early stages of Revelation, there's a letter. Chapter 2, verse 1, tells us that the letter is written to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Write this. That's what he tells John. Verse 4 and 5, he says, But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So perhaps what is happening here is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this letter, at the conclusion of this letter, he's writing to them that we, as a responsible response to God and God's grace to us, is that we owe God a response of love incorruptible. We should love God with a love that is described as an incorruptible love because that's the proper response to all God has done for us. And perhaps the Holy Spirit writing this, delivering this, this letter being read, knew that by the time you get to the writing of the book of Revelation, there's going to be 
a charge that you have left your first love. So we see grace and peace and love and faith. This is my last chapel to speak to you with a sermon this semester. We'll have chapel three more times this week. We'll have chapel two more times next week. But many of you will be leaving to graduate. Any graduating seniors in the room? Yeah. I, I, I see, as I look around, I see some of your shirts, those despised shirts that I absolutely hate, which say, see you later. I don't like the shirts because I don't want you to go. I know that's the whole point of what we do here. I understand that, all right? You don't have to remind me that. The point is graduation and go and I get it. But that still doesn't mean I'm excited about watching you walk out the doors. I'm excited to see what God does through you. I'm excited to see you serve him. But can I just say to you, make sure that wherever you go, that whatever you do, you plant yourself in a good local church with beloved brothers that preaches the word, that you surround yourself with good, encouraging friends, you keep your friends for life that you have made here, your brothers and your sisters in Christ, that you make sure you stay deep in the word of God, that as you leave the greenhouse and go out into a world that's gonna confront you with various things that you don't allow your love incorruptible that you have developed here at Cedarville to turn into an accusation of you have left your first love. Can I say to all of you, as many of you will be going to various places all summer and hopefully coming back this fall, don't allow this summer to be a time where you backtrack Don't allow this summer to be a time where you let the escalator that's going down that we have been walking up, that you just stop and rest and take five or six or 10 paces back. Don't allow this summer to be a summer where you have bad habits that form in your life, where you're not in the word, where you're hanging out with people you shouldn't or doing things you shouldn't, that you're allowing the love that you have for Christ, the joy that you have for Christ, as I hear it when you sing this morning, that you allow that love and that joy to wane, So then you show back up this fall. I talk to students every fall. Every fall we come in and we start Bible conference and we challenge everybody with the gospel. We challenge everybody to repent, get right, to be on a good path for the next year. I talk to somebody every fall that says, this summer I got into habits I shouldn't have. This summer I allowed something to creep in. Can I just challenge you to be hearers and say that the devil doesn't want you to continue growing in your faith? The devil wants to take away as much of what he can in your spiritual growth as possible over the summer when you're not surrounded, when you're not in here in chapel, when you're not in the Bible minor, when all of these things that form the greenhouse are not around you. He wants to tear you down and destroy you. So as we talked about last time, put on the armor of Christ. Make sure that you see yourself as in Christ. Recognize that it is a band of brothers and sisters joining together. Call one another. Email one another. Visit one another. Pray for one another. Make sure that you are progressing forward in your faith in Christ. You show back up here next fall. You've grown even more. You've grown even deeper in your affections for Christ and your affections for this world begin to wane and your affection for Christ begins to grow. And as your affection for Christ grows, your spiritual disciplines become a joy. 
Your love for Christ grows deeper. That's my challenge to you. As you leave here through graduation or through the summer, can I remind you that there are many things in life that may describe you or help explain you, but they do not define you. Some of you will leave here single. Before long, you'll be described as married. It may describe you, it shouldn't define you. Some of you, most of you right now, you don't have children. Eventually in life, you may have children. I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I'm a great-grandparent. It may describe your stage in life, but it should not define who you are in your core identity. Remember what we've learned in the book of Ephesians? That from eternity past, God chose us in Christ. He has redeemed us. He has chosen us. He has loved us. He has forgiven us. He has adopted us. Remember what it says in the book of Ephesians when it talks about we are alive in Christ in chapter 2, verse 5, that we are saved repeatedly throughout the book, that we are a new creation in chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 4, verse 24, that we are brought near to God, reconciled to him in 2.13, that we are given access to God in 2.18 and 3.12, that we are profoundly loved in 3.17 and 19, that we are God's possession in 1.14, that we are sealed as God's property by the Holy Spirit, that we are God's inheritance, that we are heirs adopted by the King, beloved children that we are chosen by God, predestined by God, called by God, redeemed by God, forgiven by God, sanctified by God, cleansed by God, and that we are saints even when we don't feel like it. We are part of that corporate bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We are the workmanship of God. We are light. And as you go for the summer, or as you launch out to use your God-given passions and your God-given talents as a platform for ministry into the world, may you remember that no matter what the world says about you, that you are light and that you are loved and that your identity is found in Christ. We sang about the Jesus who was crucified, who went to the grave, who is risen. This weekend, we will celebrate that resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will celebrate the grace that he has given us. And dear friends, you can have no greater identity in this life than to know that you are in Christ, clothed in his righteousness, Loved by God for all eternity. So, peace be to you. With the grace of God our Father, may he keep you. May you love him with faith from God, with a love that is incorruptible. May you stand in in the armor of Christ against all that the devil sends your way. And whether this fall or whether in eternity or whether 
somewhere else, we celebrate together all that God has done for us, for his honor and his glory, for all eternity. Grace and peace to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Dear Lord, I pray that you would keep all of us, protect us, grant us peace, grant us grace, give us faith when our faith is weak, give us good brothers and sisters in Christ to grab a hold of us when we stumble. Lord, I pray your protection upon all of these and those who are watching or those who are a part of the extended Cedarville family. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have called us. I pray that you would keep us from stumbling. I pray that you would, Lord, grant us your favor. And Lord, I pray that you would use us and grow us deeper in our love for you and help us to be lights in this world that would share your love with others so that worship may abound. And Lord, may you send revival in our hearts and on this campus and throughout our churches in the Midwest and across the nation and to the ends of the earth so that you would be worshiped and praised. I ask this for all of us, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.